You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2022. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching, we are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Today's episode is for you if you are in an interfaith relationship or you're part of an interfaith family. I wanted to dedicate an episode to you. At a later date, I'll be interviewing someone who's in an interfaith relationship just to get some some real life stories. But today's episode is with some great colleagues of mine, Rabbi Robin Frisch and Nicole Wasserless of 18 Doors. 18 Doors is a wonderful organization that helps interfaith couples and families grow their Jewish or Jewish identities in an authentic way. I've been working with them both for a long time through Smashing the Glass, my Jewish wedding platform, and they've got so much wisdom to share. And this episode is going to be so helpful, so beneficial for you if you're part of an interfaith relationship or family. And I do also want to mention my Smashing Life community. If you're feeling disconnected as someone who's part of an interfaith family or relationship, we welcome and embrace you inside my Jewish community smashing life the link is in the show notes to join we'd absolutely love to have you and connect you with other interfaith couples families as well as plenty of wonderful Jewish couples and families we're all one in my world we don't do labels we don't say you're this type of Jew you're that type of Jew you're not allowed in this space you're we are one and you'll see here today from Rabbi Robin and Nicole they've got exactly the same ethos so let's dive into the episode so welcome Nicole and Rabbi Robin to the podcast obviously we've spoken so many times before but this is the first time I've got you both on the podcast and I'm so excited to do an episode specifically for anyone who's part of an interfaith family or in an interfaith relationship um, I'm delighted to have you both here today Thank you so much. It's really exciting to be here. We've enjoyed working with Smashing the Glass before and are big fans of what you do. Yeah. So I met Rabbi Robin and Nicole through my work at Smashing the Glass, where we have all Jewish weddings covered, interfaith Jewish weddings, Jewish weddings, and we got very close through that work. And now with my wider platform, Your Jewish Life, we're reaching so many more people. And so it's really, really exciting to have you here talking to, to all kinds of couples, people with children, grandparents maybe as well so yeah let's dive in I thought we could just start with what I think is well did you know what I'm going to start with I'm going to tell you about a story I had dinner with a friend last night very dear friend who's Jewish and she's she's been married probably about 12 13 years her husband's not Jewish and she's completely lapsed everything she doesn't do anything and she feels it's such a sort of weight of burden for her to get started like it's all on her her husband would join in but she just doesn't know where to start and what to do for it not to feel sort of heavy let's just start with some sort of practical tips of maybe you know someone on the extreme like that who's completely maybe lapsed out and wants to start edging in for the sake of her children and and creating a bit more of a Jewish home so I assume this is someone who's in an interfaith relationship herself yeah, she's Jewish and her husband's not, not Jewish. They've been married maybe 12, 13 years. They've got kids. 
they're very happy, but they don't do anything. Because the reality is, as you know, you could be describing a couple where both partners are Jewish, but I think there's this extra intimidation level often if one of them is not, that they feel, will I be accepted for who I am and who we are as a couple and a family? Are we going to do something quote unquote wrong? But personally, the advice I give is the same I would give to a Jewish Jewish couple. Start somewhere that you know is going to embrace you who you are, as who you are. We often say welcoming is welcoming someone else into your own space, but embracing or a word like that really accepts you exactly who you are. So find, if you can, a community or a place or maybe a few friends who practice some form of Judaism that doesn't seem overwhelming to you. Maybe have them have you for Shabbat dinner a place where you'll feel comfortable and truly embraced. Start small, communicate with your partner, make sure the space you're entering, if it is a physical space, is one that you're both going to feel comfortable. Don't drag your partner, for example, to high holiday services if they are not ready to do that and feel like the thought of so much Hebrew would be overwhelming for them, for example, or that they might not be accepted for who they are, whether that's true or not, how someone feels is obviously essential. And start small. Preschool is a great place or a Tat Shabbat or some program for children. So many adults, whether they're in our faith or both Jewish, learn through their kids. They come in with their kids. They start in a simple place and then they themselves become interested and begin their own spiritual growth, either individually or even better if their couple, their partner wants to accompany them. Um, their, their partner may just be curious, may just be there to support them. And that's certainly okay. Or they may say, I don't want to be Jewish, but I love this Jewish community. I'm part of the community, but it's my decision to remain the religion, the culture, whatever it is where I grew up. I want to stay part of that and not be Jewish, but I want to be part of this larger community and I want to accompany and support my partner throughout this. And whatever decision you and your partner come to is right for you. There's another thing I say constantly, no best practices for being an interfaith couple. There's the best practice for you. So as long as you're talking to each other, and going together wherever places that you're comfortable going together. And I say, take it slowly. You know, again, don't jump right in, but start at places where you both feel you want to go together. Then you begin your journey and none of us know where our journeys are going to take us. And that's part of the excitement of not just Judaism, but life. What about the home? Because I think, for instance, it's, it's, it's quite totally coincidentally that I had dinner with this friend last night, but I think she particularly lives in an area where there's no other Jews. Like she's really just lapsed, but she said she feels it in her heart and she's, she's, she, you know, and I, I, I suggested to her just start small, maybe a little challah and some candles on a Friday night and explaining the Shabbat rituals to her children, something that, you know, sparks Jewish joy for her, that, memory from a childhood I don't know what so what what about on a sort of really basic basis like that not even you know she, I think she almost feels intimidated to go to some Jewish spaces just now just to start really small what ideas do you have Nicole yeah I think it's a great idea to start at home in a space that you're comfortable and what I would encourage her to explore is like what what are her what are her interests and what what are the ways her and her husband connect? And if they're food lovers or if they're movie buffs, like there are Israeli films they can watch together or Jewish films or podcasts like this one or Unorthodox. There's some great resources out there that you can do, you know, while you're at, at, at any time. Like I, I, me and my husband like to listen to our Jewish podcasts on uh, long trips uh, when we're going to visit some family, 
there's just so many things. So think about what's unique to you as individuals and as a couple and where you might find connection. And what I love about Karen, what you do is like the your Jewish life, your way concept, which is there's no one way to be Jewish. So it doesn't have to be going to synagogue or it doesn't have to be going to high holiday services. And for many people, that's not the best place to start. So I, I do encourage them to think about what they want to read or take in and aspects of Jewish culture that might appeal to them. Why do you think Judaism does sometimes feel really loaded and sort of intimidating to maybe someone that's lapsed a bit or who's not as confident in their identity? Why, why do you think it's, it's, it's got to that for some people? I can't take credit for this idea, but I, this, I've heard this once and it really resonates with me just about how, um, if you look at the statistic, just how educated the Jewish population is. Many of us have degrees in higher education, are really ambitious with our careers, and yet we still have a kind of really elementary Jewish education, most of us. For those who maybe went to Hebrew school, it might have stopped by the time you were 12 or 13. And so we really just know the basics. And I think it would serve us really well to start to explore these things now as and go back to the themes of holidays and the Torah and different texts as adults, actually, and bring our adult mind to those topics. Um, and I think that can make us feel like less than and that we should be experts, but we're not. And people may turn to you looking for the answers, but all the answers are also like at your fingertips. If I don't know something, you know, we can just Google it in five seconds uh, at the Passover table. Um, so I think there's, there's no shame in saying, you know, I don't know why we do that. Like, let's look it up. There's so many wonderful rabbis and cantors out there you may have one vision for who that person is based on maybe like someone who was you belong to a congregation or synagogue growing up it might have been a man a really elderly boring rabbi man there's so many progressive interesting rabbis out there today so I'd implore people to try to like reach out and have coffee and see who's in their area and now you can access anything everywhere. So it doesn't even have to be someone who's, who's down the block. So yeah, I think all those, all those things make us feel intimidated and less than, but you know, I think we can push against that. Yeah. I agree with Nicole a thousand percent. When I was in rabbinical school 20 some years ago, they used to use the term pediatric Judaism because so many Jews were so well-educated in other areas. But when it came to Judaism, their education stopped often after Bar Bat Mitzvah or maybe a few years later. So they knew I'm not educated in this area of my life. And they were very aware of that. Uh, and, but now that she said, almost anything's available online. You want to make challah, you don't have to have done it with your grandmother. You find one of the eight million sites online. You want to do three braids, six braids, eight braids. You can do that. And uh, Karen, you had mentioned challah. I think making challah with little kids, even really little kids can do something. They can pound the bread, um, the dough. There are so many fun ways to access Judaism in your home that don't don't worry about being right or wrong any way you do it that works for you and is meaningful and I think it can also be intimidating the actual structures like going into an institution and then there's the issue of Hebrew that can be intimidating but you can find as you know Nicole mentioned podcasts or 
or videos or different sessions online or Again, you don't have to go to services. That's not the only way to practice Judaism. But if you want to, it doesn't have to be local. It can be in any city in the world that you find a rabbi or a service leader who is really appealing to you and needs a service that speaks to you that may or may not have Hebrew. Some people just appreciate the spirituality of that and the sound of it, even if they don't understand it, whereas others find it really intimidating and blocking. So do some exploration. Um, you know, ideally, it's wonderful to find a community nearby. That's the best situation when you have people locally. But if you can't, there are all kinds of online communities that you connect to as well. If, as a beginning, or maybe for you and your family, that's where you're going to find is the place that's best. So, you know, I've got quite a few friends that are Jewish that are in wonderful, happy marriages with, with non-Jewish partners. But I think the thread that I hear from them is that they feel like it's all on them and they sometimes don't know how to navigate that or you know it's too much so they don't do anything or the kids you know they don't know how to raise the kids are the kids Jewish how there isn't what tips have you got for that sort of burden that maybe the Jewish partner feels and also tips on raising Jewish children within an interfaith environment you know, I've seen cases also where the partner's not Jewish, feels that it falls on them, that they say, I made the commitment to raise our children Jewish, and you're not doing anything, Jewish partner, but I made this commitment, I'm going to do something. So it, it could be, in theory, either partner. Again, I think talking to your partner and saying, well, what about Judaism might interest you? In what ways would you want to get involved with the kids, maybe? You know, you like sports, maybe look up some Jewish sports heroes, and you could look up what they do Jewishly, or if they have a pet, and we have that pet, and, you know, share that with the kids that we have something in common with this person, you know, whatever it is, again, if you like to bake, you know, find ways to do that and do that with the children. But the more that you can, I think, if you are both invested, the more you can share it as a family, even if one partner, it doesn't make them Jewish to be part of Jewish experiences. But find out and ask your partner and genuinely, you know, I think so many of us have the answer we want to hear. But instead, really use the, the language or I think of in mindfulness training, they talk about really responding to your partner rather than simply reacting, like give them a chance to share with you, listen to them actively and find out what it is that might be uncomfortable for them, where they could be involved, and then pursue those areas together as a family or let them do that with the children. And maybe you'll do a different route. And again, same thing with Jewish, Jewish partners. Sometimes you have one who just won't go to synagogue or won't participate in certain things. So to find ones where you are both comfortable, I think tends to be uh, most in my experience, and Nicole, you could share if it's different, like Friday night dinners tend to be a place that you can really bond as a family, maybe have guests over, even if they're not Jewish, and share with them your Shabbat experience, whatever that may be for you. And that can be seen by a partner who's not Jewish, just as a wonderful family bonding time. And the Jewish partner, you know, again, in discussion with their partner, can talk about what Jewish elements you want to include to make that special religious day for you and your family. And so anything to add there about sort of raising children in an interfaith environment to have a strong Jewish identity? Is there a sort of particular examples that you've seen that you think, wow, they, I'd love, you know, can share, you know, actually some stories. Um, I think it's always nice to use sort of real examples of things you've seen and then people can almost steal the idea or just, you know, connect anything that you want to share. Does anything come to mind for either of you? Well, Nicole's pregnant, so she'll have soon many examples. <laughs> <laughs> I went through this a long time ago, but personally, 
at least in the area where I live, the Jewish preschools had lots of kids from interfaith families. And we're talking years ago, and my oldest is 22, as well as families who weren't Jewish. And we used to laugh because a lot of the kids who had neither Jewish parent would go home and say, we want to celebrate Shabbat. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's often, you know, I mentioned hot Shabbats before, if they're available, but you usually don't have to be a member of that particular synagogue or community or programs aimed at children. Again, tend to be very unintimidating for parents and a great place for parents to go together and to learn through and with their children. And usually when children come home with that enthusiasm, uh, that just encourages their parents because you want to encourage what they're interested in. Also books. Books are a great place to start in America. I'm not sure about England, but in America, we have PJ Library. Yeah, I wanted to do a shout out for PJ Library. They're pretty much worldwide now and it's just a must. Tell us about PJ Library for anyone that doesn't know. I have to say, I was so cynical when they started and thought, oh my gosh, they're going to give away books, like with all the needs in the Jewish community. Uh, I think it's the greatest thing ever. You know, people, anyone who wants can sign up, you get free Jewish books. It doesn't matter if you know nothing or if you're both rabbis. You know, my husband and I are both rabbis and we signed up and every month we get a Jewish book. They even have some interfaith books now. They're incredibly sensitive to different kinds of families, to LGBTQ families, to Jews of color, that they recognize our community is diverse. So even if you are you know, a, a family that kind of fits the mold of what we always thought about of this Jewish family. It's great to learn that not every family is like yours, but they teach about holidays. They teach about life cycles, just Shabbat, anything being Jewish, values, ethics. And you can, anyone can read with their kids and have a great conversation. You don't have to be a knowledgeable Jewish person to pick up about these ethics or the simple basics of a holiday. And I think that's just a, such a great jumping off point for families and such a non-intimidating way to start and to begin conversations. And your kids may say, oh, I love this book about Passover. Can we do something special? And again, then you've got access to things online. Um, you can, you know, any rabbi, I would hope in your community, whether or not you're part of their synagogue or institution, would be willing to have a phone call with you or meet with you and answer some questions. So take advantage of all the resources that are available. I'm just going to add one thing. Um, I, I just, what we'll do is we'll link to PJ Library in the show notes. So everyone can click on that. It is for kids um, up to the age of eight, literally from zero to eight. And it is just phenomenal. It does take a few months for the books to arrive from when you register. So Nicole, I guess being pregnant, you're already registered. <laughs> I got to sign up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I signed my, I just had our first, my sister had her first baby. So the first child in our family. And that's the first thing I did is sign them up. They got a Hanukkah book, like an indestructible book. They were really excited to get it. So it's an awesome program and I, I look forward to participating. And I was just going to add that I think like holiday, because there are so many Jewish holidays, it's almost funny. Those present such a good opportunity, like all throughout the year to think about ways to involve children. And there's so many interactive components to, to these holidays. We also have shared on our website, especially for Passover, things like I'm a very crafty person, so it appeals to me, but so many, you know, coloring pages and, you know, interactive crafts you can do. And like, there's, I mean, there's a whole world on Pinterest out there that you can explore. So I think there's no, there's no need to have to, like, there's so much inspiration out there. So you don't need to make it up. You're not the only one thinking about this. And I'd encourage anyone to, you know, whether with children or without, like, seek out community because you're, it may feel like you're alone, maybe being an interfaith couple, but you're actually the majority. 
And there's so many people out there and I think you can take great comfort in, in getting to talk with others who are in a similar boat as you. And that's what I know both of our organizations, you know, off, offer programs that allow people to connect no matter where they are. And I think that's invaluable. Well, we'll definitely link to those. I know you do wonderful work for connecting couples and families, and I think it's invaluable. And yeah, I think often, you know, so much of what we're saying is relevant to to Jewish couples as well, you know, and often there's this thing of I'm all in or I'm all out, you know, and and I love what you're saying, like, just dip your toe, what sparks joy, what feels fun as well, like, it shouldn't be this heavy thing that you've got to do, and my friend last night was saying, you know, that that burden of, like, taking it to the next generation, it's just too heavy, so, you know, have some fun there. Nicole, are you, sorry, did I understand that you're in an an interfaith relationship from? My partner is actually Jewish oh your pun is Jewish I'd love to hear some actual stories of how you know you obviously you know so many interfaith couples of say how interfaith couples or families are making it work with Passover it's obviously Passover is coming up let's kind of just talk through you know possibly a scenario for for an interfaith couple and also let's talk about parents who may or may not approve disapprove you know all that kind of thing (laughs) I will say one easy part of being an interfaith couple is that you may only have one part of the family who is celebrating Passover so I know I always find a challenge of of sharing holidays and wanting to bring both families together but that's not always possible so like that I feel like that's just like a blessing to be given (laughs) Yeah. I just want to add on top of that, in addition to not arguing which family you're going to spend Passover with, because they might be, you know, they're even if you celebrate two nights, they might be in different towns or something, and you can't just go from one to the other. There's also this idea that, you know, I hear sometimes from Jewish, Jewish couples, there's some tension because my family did it this way, your family does it this way. When there's one Jewish family, it's, this is how you do Passover, and the partner celebrates another holiday, this is how you do their holiday. So there's not that tension of, I grew up doing it differently. It's, okay, however you do it must be, quote unquote, right. Even though there's no such thing we would say as a right or wrong way to do it. In some ways, that makes it a little bit easier for interfaith couples that you can learn from your partner and do it their way. And Passover is like such, I think, such like a favorite holiday of so many because it is so, I think, accessible. And part of what we're reading in the Haggadah is explaining you know, what, what the symbolism and, and the story, and it's all laid out. And there's so many different options out there too, of what you may want to use for Haggadah. I'm always curious, like what fun one they'll come up with each year based on what TV show was popular, but there's songs and there's symbolism and there's food and it's at home. And I think it's just like such a wonderful holiday that a lot of, you know, I love inviting even friends who who aren't Jewish to to come along and get to experience it. And I feel like it's such a such an accessible holiday. But I I do like see where you're going, Karen, about like it can be really challenging and you know around holidays just in general um, and family dynamics when it comes to being an interfaith couple. And none of that is easy. You know, I think especially maybe when you add children into the into the mix, there's just a lot of opinions. And what I've, what I've heard from, from couples um, and young families is the importance of having like the strongest communication you can possibly have with your partner. Um, we like to offer, we've started in the last year offering conversation starters 
that give you a tool to like sit down on the couch together, sit down over a meal, do it in the car and get to talk through some of those questions. Um, and, and I think those can help it and setting up, you know, deciding what you want to do as a, a couple or family and trying to, in a loving, firm way, communicate those boundaries with extended family. And I know there's, I mean, especially around life cycle events, there can be so many challenges that, that come up and that's really unfortunate, but, you know, I think allowing time and space and, you know, doing the best you can to navigate that. And fortunately it's, it can be common. I'll just add in 2022, we have a not so unusual challenge where Passover and Easter overlap. So the second day of Passover after the second Seder is actually Easter. And again, I think where your communication is key and, you know, if you're the Jewish partner, explain to your partner of another faith why Passover is important to you. Presumably, if you do want them to attend a Passover Seder with you, maybe if you have childhood memories of Seder, what that meant to you, why you would like them to be with you. Make sure, you know, as Nicole said, the whole Seder is about explaining things, but it can be a little intimidating still and give them um, an overview of what's going to happen so they don't feel uncomfortable. And as far as parents of different faiths, you know, in an ideal world, what I see, and this doesn't work for every family, but if you're in the same location, the same city, if the Jewish parents invite the parents of a different faith to the Seder, if they're comfortable coming, not with an expectation that they have to come, but knowing that they have this invitation and they're welcome and it's not, you know, some secret Jewish thing that their child can be part of, but they can't but that you want them to come learn as well, not, not to convert them, but to show that you're all part of a big extended family and you care about them exactly as they are. And then for the Jewish partner, you know, if your partner celebrates Easter, they may say to you, they may or may not, I want to be at church that day. Um, and it's important to me that you come sit with me. Everyone else has their family there on Easter and I just really want you by my side. And you have to think about whether that's something you're comfortable doing and then articulate your response to your partner in a way that's really sensitive and understanding. We use the language sometimes of giving your partner a gift. And maybe if something's hard to you, you will try giving that to a gift as your partner and try doing that. And remember that if it doesn't work, you can do it differently next year. You know, it's not that the way you do anything Jewish, like anything else in your life has to be how you always do it, but you can try things, kind of try them on. And if accompanying your partner to church or do, taking a certain role in the Seder, when you're not just doesn't feel comfortable for you, then you don't do that in the following year. But I think, you know, again, the more educated you come in and that things aren't a surprise and you know what to expect and that you realize that for most of us, a lot of this is about family and being together. And if we look at it that way of like, you know, Passover, yes, for many of us, it's a very important holiday with very important implications and, and means a lot, but it's also about being together with family and or friends that's something hopefully anyone we do and anyone we love can be there and made to feel really comfortable that's really really great so much good stuff there I know some people might be listening thinking but I don't know how to explain Passover to my kids or my partner or whatever so we I know you've got some fabulous resources we'll, we'll link to them in the show notes we'll also link we've got our own your Jewish life guide to Passover so just check out the show notes if you're feeling that you don't have the knowledge that you want to share we've got you and honestly those prompts as well sound fabulous that Nicole talked about so we'll we'll link to all that good stuff and of course check out the 18 doors website in full for for everything you could want if you're in an interfaith 
relationship or part of an interfaith family. So we're going to take a quick break. I just want to talk about something I love and we'll be right back. Just want to take a brief moment to tell you about my community, Smashing Life. It's a beautiful Jewish community that I'd absolutely love you to be a part of. It's a place to build the life you want on your terms, empowered by a community of like-minded Jewish women from all over the world. We have masterclasses and parties and get-togethers and socials and so much more. Um, Why don't I hand over to Ashley, one of our members from Los Angeles, and she can tell you what it's all about. So my favorite thing about being in Smashing Life is that it provides access to basically a group of friends where it's safe to share things that are good, that are bad, and things that you would never share publicly, like, I just took a pregnancy test and it came back negative. This sucks, everybody commiserate with me, or someone at work just threw me under the bus, and you know, people are so supportive, or you get to share something positive, like, you know, I just got a promotion at work, but I can't share it yet because it hasn't been announced yet. You can just share everything with each other and get you know support you can get just your group of friends cheering you on or commiserating with you supporting you for whatever you need and it's it's so special so there you have it that smashing life it's an incredible community membership club for jewish women and i'd love you to join just head to smashinglife.club smashinglife.club and join today so I want to talk to you about Jewish joy. Um, I think it's it doesn't get enough airtime in, uh, in the Jewish world. <laughs> we love Jewish joy here at Your Jewish Life. And um, Nicole, I'll start with you. What sparks Jewish joy for you personally? Oh, such a good question. I, for me, I know I've already mentioned the suggestion of watching Israeli and Jewish films. That's something me and my partner really enjoy doing anything in particular that you want to share that we can go binge on (laughs) well I'm local to Philadelphia and they have a a great Jewish film festival so they're always releasing some new interesting films so there's there's not one in particular on Netflix which is more accessible to everyone Cecil I've been watching which has been so good on Orthodox came out a few years ago so there's I mean there's so much good TV and film out there I also just you know, for me, my personal interest is about home and decorating. And so I have some pieces of Jewish art that mean a lot to me. Mm. I got one, you know, prior to working at 18 Doors, I worked for Hillel on American University college campuses with Jewish students. And I used to lead birthright, tech lead birthright Israel trips for students many, many years. And there's one piece in particular you know, you have like a five minute break <laughs> to eat lunch and, and get ready to move on to the next activity. But while in the shuk or the market in Israel, I got to peek into a store and get a ceramic piece. And I have that piece in my living room and I follow this, you know, Israeli artist on Instagram. And I just find such connection in, you know, these things that I care about, like just art and culture and, and music. So yeah, so I'd say I'd say those things help me experience Jewish joy on like a daily basis and, and in my home. I love that sort of Jewish art and also Judaica or Jewish objects that you can display in your home that give you joy all year round. So for instance, I when I was in New York City last, I found this stunning 
menorah in ABC home. It was like all oh, made out of clear glass and it's just gorgeous. And I, you know, whereas in the past, I'd sort of drag out some old um, heirloom relic for, for Hanukkah and sort of dust it off because it was like, this is like, I display it all year round and I love it and it gives me joy every day. And those are such simple ways to feel Jewish every day and, you know, invest in, in pretty things, pretty Jewish things. If you're a visual person, like obviously me and Nicola, what about yeah. you, <laughs> Rabbi Robin? So many things come to mind, but I would, I'll have to go with the first one, which is really, you know, it's simple. It's being with my family in a Jewish context and, and at home. Um, I, I think back to growing up and I have such positive memories of being at my grandmother's with my cousins for Shabbat dinner and she made the best chicken soup and I would eat two bowls of chicken soup and then no dinner for years. I never touched dinner because I just wanted her chicken soup with her egg drop noodles. Then my mother would make the soup, her daughter-in-law, and I would always say it's not as good. And I never understood why that insulted my mother until I had kids of my own and made the same soup and they would say, but it's not as good as your mother's. So there's something about the grandmother making it, I think, that makes it extra special. Uh, given up on making chicken soup, but being at home with my those rare Friday nights when all of my children are here these days. And my favorite part without a question is just a few minutes when I bless each of my children on Friday night and I get to put my hands on their head and recite the blessing and whisper something to them. And I just give them a hug and a kiss. And it feels like any tension, any distance this week just melts away. Even if we were like kind of arguing five minutes ago, it just disappears. And that is the one time a week that I just feel so close to them and so connected Jewishly. And I do feel it at other times of the week, but it's guaranteed no matter what's been going on before to make that happen in that moment. And, you know, I know so many people who bless their kids and don't say the traditional blessing. They'll just put their hands on their kids and they'll say, whatever they're feeling or something they're proud of of their kid from the week or a hope for the week ahead. It doesn't have to be the traditional words, but just that moment of intimacy. And I always encourage people, start with your baby, you know, and you don't have to be Jewish. Just start with your baby on Friday nights, put your hands on their heads and say something special to them. And it may, again, it may grow and change what you end up doing, or you may do the same thing for years and years. If you don't have a baby and you're single, start with yourself. You know, I was going to say, start with your your pet too. I may yeah. call every Friday and and just give a little piece to to my dog Barkley and say Shabbat Shalom. Oh, so yeah. until this baby's born, <laughs> that's our <There's>, little tradition. <laughs> there's so many ways to be Jewish inside our Smashing Life community for women. We we had a little masterclass on Shabbat and a chat about how we all do Shabbat and. One of our members said, I'd love to do Shabbat, but I work on, on Friday nights. I'm a vet. And at the moment, my shifts of a night shift Friday to Saturday. And I feel like I'm not doing Friday night. And we suggested, well, why don't you do it on a Tuesday night at the moment, every Tuesday night? And it's like, as long as you've got that feeling, again, the Jewish heart that you're breaking up the week somehow in a way that's relaxing for you and taking time. And it's, again, I loved what you said, Rabbi Robin, about the blessing and the family and togetherness, because that's Jewish values. And, you know, Jewish, being Jewish, people think it's all about the rules and the musts and the shoulds, but actually at the very center of it all is the values of sort of family and community and joy and, and all those wonderful Jewish values. So, yeah, I loved, I loved both, both of what you said. Yeah, there's so much. We could do a whole episode on Jewish joy, Absolutely. couldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> We've actually got um, a resource, a free resource that also linked to, which is kind of 20 easy ways to feel Jewish joy. So, uh, you know, put a big Jewish smile on everyone's face. So Robin, I want to ask you now, 
what does your Jewish life, your way, mean to you personally? That term really speaks to me. As Nicole knows, I have a 20, I'll be 22 next week, son, 22 year old son who is from ultra Orthodox black cat. He actually just arrived in from Israel at 4 a.m. So I saw him briefly this morning when I was going. <laughs> we live very different Jewish lives, as you can imagine. In the beginning, I used to joke, but I don't think I was joking. Couldn't have just dated someone who wasn't Jewish. That would have been much easier <laughs> for us. Um, you know, that, that is part of my world. I understand that his world was really a different world. So what I've come to learn, though, and it's, it's really taken me time, is that people live their Jewish lives very differently, and that's okay. And we're all part of one big community. And I know this sounds kind of kumbaya and silly, but I am a really big believer in all Israel and all of Judaism being connected and that we should care for each other and be there for each other. And I think right now the Jewish community is very disjointed and it makes me really sad. And I feel like my family is called Israel, so it makes me particularly sad, is that we have such a diverse intrafaith family. And when I say Jewish people, I fully include in that in my speaking and in the way I mean that people who aren't Jewish that have chosen to be in a relationship with someone Jewish and have chosen to be an extended part of the community. And so I kind of work at live in one end of the community in some ways and work in another end of the community. And I'm probably one of the few people who is fully accepting of interfaith families who also, you know, has a lot of connections, not that I have a foot in it personally, but a lot of connections in the Orthodox world who care really deeply about it for very personal reasons. And I just wish, you know, again, it, it sounds so silly and corny, but I just wish that we could all let each other live the way we live and recognize we're all part of this larger community that's very diverse and really beautiful. And let's all practice it in ways that's meaningful for us and let other people practice it in ways that's meaningful for them. I'll come to you in a minute, Nicole, but I just want to really, you know, I think you've raised such an important point that the Jews as a people are disjointed at the moment. And, you know, how can we unite better as a people? I wish I had the answer. I mean, I think like anything else, it's getting to know each other. You know, so many people, I, I literally tell people I'm an Orthodox son and they look at me like, I feel so sorry for you. How do you deal with that? Wow. You know, because of the way they treat women. And, and, and I don't agree with a lot of things. No. They do. And there are many things I'm uncomfortable with. But the fact is, he's my son and I love him unconditionally. And I have met so many wonderful people in that community who've taken them under their wing because he doesn't have parents in that community and who've been so kind and so generous to him and to my family. And, you know, I just... I think if we could stop judging a little and sometimes step out of our comfort zones and for those of us on the liberal side as well, and to sometimes realize, okay, this wouldn't be for me and that's all right, but to just let people be, um, again, I mean, we're so much about not judging in the world we're in, but yet I feel like personally, I often feel very judged by people in my own world. So it's, uh, it's interesting to kind of have a little bit of a foot in both different, very different worlds. Yeah, I think we have to, there's two things. We have to understand that every individual's got the right to be that individual. We can't control their Jewish style or their Jewish life or what feels right for your son. You want to do something different. And you've both got such a, I think we could all learn a lot from you and your son, you know, the respect and the empathy you have for the way you both, and that that love that you described earlier, you know, it's just such a great example of how we should all be 
behaving towards one another within the community and understanding that we are a very diverse people and that Judaism evolves. It's not something we need to cling on to from how it was. You know, it evolves and we're evolving it. And obviously the work you're doing is all part of how Judaism is evolving into in 2022. So, Nicole, we got heavy there, but let's go back to you. <laughs> What's your answer going to be for what does your Jewish life, your way mean to you? I, as I, as I think I said before, I think like there, there is no one way to be Jewish. There's not one thing you must, you must do or must know. And I, yeah, so there's a freedom to that. And then that, that saying resonates with me, with me too, in knowing that it's, there's, you know, we have, you know, our organization is called 18 Doors, and part of the symbolism that we hope that invokes is there are many paths, doorways, openings um, to, to being Jewish and to, to explore, um, and so, yeah, there, there's no one way, and, and it's, it's nice to, nice to hear, and if you feel, you know, judged or, like think about I think who's making who or what is making you you feel that way and maybe you haven't found the right people or community quite yet and keep searching mm, I absolutely love that so we're going to um, round off with some sort of quick fire for both of you <laughs> you can answer at the same time we'll make it fun so we're going to do some quick fire questions just to see what whether you both say the same thing or something different, go for it. Say it at the same time. So matzo ball soup or bagels with locks? Matzo ball soup. Oh my goodness. That's like asking me to choose between my children. <laughs> 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 um, as long as they're not together. <laughs> you can only choose one. Bagels with locks, but I don't like cream cheese. So as long as no cream cheese, I'll take <laughs> Buy or bake a challah? Ooh, bake. Bake. It's not that hard. <laughs> Red wine, white wine, or grape juice for Kiddush? I'm going to say grape juice only because I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> we use grape juice, but I would like to say white wine. <laughs> white wine. And each of you, what is your favorite Yiddish word? My favorite Yiddish word is shared which means something that's meant to be and often I think when it's used in reference to partners life partners that people assume it's two Jewish people but I know for a fact that I've worked with many interfaith couples that are without a doubt each other's the shared and um see some oh, do you know how special that is for people listening to hear that from a rabbi it is so needed and just thank you for for saying that um it's beautiful <laughs> what do you what do you, i'll come to you in the call but what do you surely you get all kinds of backlash from other rabbis when they hear you saying things like this so what, what or do you just not surround yourself with <laughs> i was gonna say most of my day i'm with rabbis who you know talking to rabbis who are great because it's rabbis that we work with um and i you know, I, I run a fellowship for rabbis who work with interfaith couples. And while I've never discussed that particular issue, I would imagine that they all do agree uh, because, of course, the rabbis who are self-selecting that work with us. But I learn so much from the rabbis we work with and how open they are and how accepting they are. And, you know, we, we work with several of our fellows are conservative rabbis and people make all kinds of assumptions because they chose to go to the conservative seminary. But these particular rabbis are so open-minded and so 
caring of interfaith couples that I often joke that they're the most liberal ones in the group, but they, you know, they are, they just have such big hearts. And, and because of their movement at the moment, they can't perform interfaith weddings, which they find really challenging. Uh, and they hate saying no to couples, but, you know, I, I spend my days talking to rabbis, so I think every one of them would agree with me. So I think the lesson there is something Nicole said earlier, like find your community if you're around a rabbi or a community that makes you feel uncomfortable or judged or not your authentic self. There is a community for you. There is a rabbi for you. Speak to 18 doors, speak to me, speak to your friends and find your community where you feel you can be your authentic self. Nicole, what's your favorite Yiddish word? There's so many fun ones out there. There we <laughs> the are. First, honestly, I, I say like oi and oi vey a lot, um, even though it probably makes me sound like a grandmother. Um, I I also think like the word balagan, like just to describe something like crazy and frantic and disorganized is like just a, like a, a fun one that I, that I use. And um Nash also came to mind, um, partially because I, my name's Nicole, my husband's name is Josh, and sometimes our families oh. will, will call us Nash, but I just love That's the, adorable. the Jewish act, you know, like just snacking and yeah. having lots of lots of options out there and, and noshing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. So finally, we'll try and keep this tight because we're running out of time, but I do need to know this. I ask every one of my guests this. And obviously there's going to be six between you. So let's keep it tight. But I'm going to start with you, Nicole. If you could have Friday night dinner with any three Jewish people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah, oh, great question. I, I would say for me, those people would be my grandparents. They, they all passed away before I really had memory, like when I was one or two. For me, being Jewish is all about connection and Lador Vador from generation to generation. And I'd love to, I'd love to get that insight from, from, you know, stories and parts of the family. I also had a great grandfather who was a rabbi, studied at JTS. And I find it so interesting that having never, you know, having not heard so much about him and not knowing too much about um, generations that have passed that I landed in in Jewish nonprofit work. And I I'd find it really interesting to get to, to talk about that experience with grandparents and great grandparents. That's who I'd choose. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> Rabbi Robin, how about you? So also my grandparents, in particular though, my grandmother, Mary Weiss, who was really my jo Jewish role model. She, and she did a lot more than make chicken soup. That was one <laughs> of the things. But I would just love her to see, you know, she lived in a world where women were not rabbis. Um, and I would love to tell her what I do and share that with her and just show her the world today. I'm sure it would take some getting used to, but I think I imagine she'd be very proud. Also, Mandy Patinkin, I've um, started a Facebook group recently, which I found over a thousand people in it within the first two weeks called Mazel Pups, that people, there are lots of Jews obsessed with their dogs, not just me and Nicole. And I've been trying to stalk him to get him to join the group. So I'd love him to be there so I can... He um, has this great video of him singing prayers to his dog, <laughs> his dog before he goes away so his dog can listen to the prayers he normally says to him. And then the third person would actually be Red Zalman Shachter Shlomi, who grew up very Orthodox, who was a Chabad rabbi and left that world to start Aleph, which is a renewal Jewish cemetery and became kind of this hippie rabbi. But my son, as he was becoming Orthodox, came close with Zalman's grandson. 
who was black hat. And he told me one day, I said, you know, how did your family feel when you kind of went back to that world that your grandfather rejected so openly and so publicly? And he said, well, my parents had a really hard time, which of course I could relate to because my son was becoming part of this world and I was having a really hard time. He said, but my grandfather said to them, leave him alone. Everyone has their own path to God. And that has just always stuck with me as the most powerful statement. And I would just love to have him to buy dinner so I could give him a hug and thank him for mm. that powerful statement that stuck with me all these years. Oh, well, gosh, so much to take from today's episode. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. It's been an amazing uh, 40 minutes together. And I'm sure we'll be getting together for something or other soon again. But uh, for today, I want to say thank you so much. It's been such a treat for me to spend this time with you. Thank you. Ditto. <laughs> oh, and Chag with Passover coming up. All the best. If this episode inspired you in some way, I'd love you to take a screenshot of you listening on your device and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Your Jewish Life. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram and be your Instagram friend. That'd be fun. And I'd also love you to subscribe and share the episode with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I'd love you to leave a review as well. All these ways make sure that more people get to listen to the podcast and get inspired to live their Jewish life their way and we can spread the Jewish joy. So that would be a lovely mitzvah if you wanted to leave a review or share this episode with a friend or subscribe. One more thing I wanted to tell you about just before I go today is I've got a really great handy checklist for you if you are trying to build a Jewish home or you've got a home and you want to make it more Jewish or you just want to feel more Jewish at home and it is a free checklist for everything you need in a modern Jewish home literally covering everything you need to set up your modern Jewish home if you've got a lot of these things it's just a great reminder there's links to everything you need as well so it's it's really handy in that way too and there's checklists for Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat, Hanukkah, Passover and lots of minor Jewish holidays as well and all sorts of fun ideas for the items too so just head to yourjewishlife.co slash Jewish home if you want to grab that checklist. That's yourjewishlife.co, that's .co slash Jewish home, all one word. And the checklist is for you, whether you're Jewish, Jewish, or becoming Jewish. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line on Instagram and have a great day.